All right, yeah, give it up for Rev Students. You may not know, but we have an amazing student ministry here for students in 6th through 12th grade called Rev Students. In fact, when you came into our Canton location this morning, you may have seen some signs that said high school students, because down front here we have some high school students. Give it up for them. And this weekend, we had our first ever high school weekend where students from all of our campuses came together, took up their Friday and Friday night and Saturday, they didn't skip school or anything. Uh, well, they were out of school, actually. And so they took their Friday night, Saturday, and it was an opportunity for them to come together to learn more about Christ. Because our whole mission here as a church, as you know, if you're a part, is to love Jesus, grow people. Well, that includes students as well. Love Jesus, grow students. And so our student ministry called Rev Students is near and dear to my heart. Uh, one, because I have a student that's in it uh, and one student that just graduated from it last year. But two, my wife, Lindsay, and I were in student ministry for years and we love student ministry. One of the things that we always used to say is students aren't the church of tomorrow, they are the church of today. And so we take a, 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 that, that same stance here at Revolution where we invest in our students. And so this weekend, we're doing kind of a student takeover weekend, if you will. We're highlighting that you saw there in the video. And then at both of our locations, um, our student ministers are speaking. So today here in Canton, you will hear from our Canton student minister, Dave Arbogast. I'll introduce him in a second, his lovely wife. Amanda is here. Amazing Amanda. And then in uh, Jasper, we have Jeremy, our student minister in Jasper speaking there. And we wanted to do this because one, we just had this high school weekend. It's kind of like a continuation of that. But two, as a way to highlight to you just what your students are involved in. And that's partly what the video was for. But secondly, because we want you to hear from our student ministers so that you can hear what your students are hearing. And if you have a student in grades 6 through 12, and they are not a part of Rev Students, we would love for them to be a part on Wednesday nights, and not just Wednesday nights, but the whole ministry that is dedicated to them, so that they can learn about Jesus and grow, and then also continue to build the church. And that's what we want to do. And so we want you to know about it. We want you to love it. We want you to serve in it. If you have students, one of the the best volunteer uh, team members that we have are parents of students. And you don't have to be the, your kid's small group leader, but you can be somebody else's and then just kind of check in on your students, all right? Um, but we wanted to highlight it this weekend so that you can know what is going on here, so that you can see the great student ministers, so you can understand the quality that happens in our Rev Students Ministry. So without further ado, give it up for Dave Arbogast, our Can student minister. He's gonna bring the word here to you today. No, 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 no. We'll just, we'll just do this. We'll just do this. I don't want to hurt myself. <laughs> uh, we joked about doing that earlier, and then someone off to the side was like, Dave, you're too small. He'll knock you down. Um, <laughs> so really, that was for my safety. Thank you, Pastor Jason. Uh, no, I'm, I'm so grateful and thankful that, uh, that I get to be up here and be able to talk. Hey, did we have a fun time this weekend? <laughs> there we go. Uh, yeah, it was, it was a packed what, 48 hours, basically, uh, for us. Uh, but we had a lot of fun at high school weekend. Uh, we went over some pretty deep theological concepts uh, and dove into those at, at a deeper level that we may not always get to do uh, at a normal Rev Students Wednesday night. And so we thought this was important to bring our high schoolers into an environment that was just for them and that we could dive in deeper. Um, now, I, I'm very blessed to uh, be a part of a church and, uh, that values student ministry. I know Pastor Jason said it, uh, but 
I just want you to know he's telling the truth, 100%. Our leadership values students. And as the guy who helps lead students at this Canton campus, I can tell you it is absolutely true. They love you guys, high schoolers. Our leadership loves you guys. Our church loves you guys uh, and middle schoolers as well. We love you guys so much. So I'm very excited that I get to be up here, that I get to uh, share what we have been studying this past weekend. Now, before I go into that, though, it's, I always think that it's great if you get to know me a little bit better. You know, that way we have a little rapport and you're not just like, who's this rando that's up on the stage? Uh, so a little bit about me. I love sports. I'm a big sports fan and I'm from South Florida. So I am a fan of South Florida sports. So I am a Miami Dolphins fan, which shouldn't offend anybody really here. I'm also a Miami Heat fan. That might offend some Hawks fans. Sorry about that. We took you out of the playoffs last year. Um, all right, I just, I, I earned some vitriol there. But I'm, I also went to Florida State. And so I'm a Seminole fan. Go Knowles. Um, again, shouldn't offend anybody. Uh, this is SEC country, so... Uh, but I love my sports, and I will root for my teams in those sports. But if my teams aren't playing, I love watching greatness. I just love watching great players be great. The best of the best being the best. So for instance, I love watching Patrick Mahomes. All right, he is the greatest quarterback right now. I'm not saying all time, don't worry. Uh, he's the greatest quarterback playing right now. And so I love getting to watch him do what he does. He basically won the Super Bowl with no wide receivers, all right, against a superior team. The Eagles were a superior team. So he is great. I love watching LeBron James in basketball. I can disagree with what he does off the court, but on the court, he is a beast. He does things that nobody else can do. I put him up there with Michael Jordan where watching them, they, I, there's no other people that could do that. Then Tom Brady. I know, I know some people are like, whoa, you're going too far here. <laughs> I love watching Tom Brady. He's the GOAT for a reason. And this is coming from a Dolphin fan. He whooped my team twice a year, all right? But he was greatness, and so I loved watching that. Georgia fans, you get it. Your team is great. Alabama, I can't get there. I don't love watching you guys. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's just... And I can't even say maybe one day. I won't. I won't ever get there. Not as long as Nick Saban's there. Um, but there is a lot of glory given in sports. There's a lot of glory given around in sports. And that's what we've been talking about this weekend. Glory the glory of God. We've been diving into these deep theological concepts called the five solas, the five solas. These were theological concepts that came about around the 16th century Protestant Reformation. So we see some church leaders saw that the Roman Catholic Church was going in a direction that wasn't right. It was focused on the wrong things. And so they got together and decided that there were some key things that, they, that needed to be at the forefront of theology. So they came up with five key things. And these five things focused on the right theology again and really separated Protestant 
theology from Roman Catholic theology. And out of Protestant theology came Baptists, Presbyterians, Methodists, Lutheran, all of that. And so we have this separation that happened because of these five solas. And the five solas are faith alone, grace alone, scripture alone, Christ alone, and glory of God alone. And so these five things are things that during high school weekend, we want to cover one of them every year with Christ alone being the overarching concept every year. So that all through the four years that our students go through from ninth to 12th, they will understand these deep core beliefs to our, uh, our belief in Christ, our relationship with Christ. So this year we were talking about the glory of God alone. We went over what it is and why it's important, why we should be glorifying God for what he has done. We went over some, some key uh, attributes and characteristics of God and how he is so different from anybody else that has ever lived because of the attributes that he has and we don't. So before we dive into today, we want to go over a definition of, of glory. I kind of want to explain what glory is. There are a couple different uh, words in the Bible for glory. There's a Hebrew word and a Greek word, and they both correlate to honor. But I want to focus on the Greek word. It's doxa. That's where we get our, our word doxology from. That's our formula for praise. It's the liturgical formula for praise. Now, and the, the word that it comes from is dikeo, dikeo, which means exercising personal opinion, which determines value. Exercising personal opinion, which determines value. Basically saying, it is my opinion that this thing or this person is valuable. And so we give glory to those things that we see as valuable. Now, we give glory in so many different ways, whether that's giving compliments. So if my wife looks beautiful, I will say, hey, you look beautiful. I love what you're wearing. That is me giving glory in that way to her. We, we do it through gifts. We do it through serving. We're saying that, hey, you are valuable to me. This thing is valuable to me. So as we dive into this, we're going to do some, th some things pretty differently than a typical gathering. On a typical gathering, we have one passage that Pastor Jason will go through, and we will break it down verse by verse. And that's an amazing way to go through Scripture. And I, actually, the preferable way in my mind for, uh, for a long series. But today, we're going to make it a little more topical. Because we're talking about the glory of God, we're going to make it a little more topical. So we're going to jump around to a few different places in Scripture. And we're doing this because we want to see how the Bible talks about the glory of God all throughout that we're not just focusing on one piece of scripture. The glory of God is represented all throughout scripture. And so we want to look at all of those pieces of scripture. So you might feel a little, little bit of whiplash as we bounce around in the Bible, but stick with me here. You'll get something out of it. So another piece of whiplash, I want you to take out your journals or something that you can journal in, whether that's your phone, whatever it is, take it out right now. It's okay to have your phone out right now. I'm giving you permission. Take out your phone, open up your notes app. I'm gonna be asking you to write some things down. Because if we're really wanting to dive into scripture, if we're really wanting to see how it applies to our life, it helps us to actually 
write some stuff down so that we can look back on it later. So the first thing that I want you to write down, I want you to write down something that you enjoy. Write down something that you enjoy. It doesn't have to be the thing that you enjoy the most. It doesn't have to be a super spiritual thing. I know we're in church, and so you're like, oh, I have to, I have to write down like something about Jesus. No, in fact, you do, I would encourage you, try to just write down something more mundane, all right? Something you enjoy that's, that's more mundane, that isn't super spiritual. It helps the exercise a little bit better. So go ahead, write down something that you enjoy, whether it's playing pickleball, that's, that's huge now. A lot of people are getting on that pickleball train. Whether it's painting, playing with your kids, whatever it may be, hopefully you've got something written down or you're writing it down. You can continue to write down if you need to. But I have some questions that I want to ask about what you wrote down. All right, so the first question is, is what you wrote down or does what you write down have external purpose? Does it have external purpose? I'll explain that a little bit. If you wrote down playing pickleball or painting, that would be an external purpose because if, if it's to entertain others. So if somebody asks you to play pick, pickleball with them and you want that person to have fun, then that is something outside of you that is a reason outside of you that you are doing it, a purpose outside of you. If you're painting, it's so that other people can be entertained or, or inspired, so that is an external purpose. Or if you're serving others, if you wrote down serving others, then that is to help other people. Again, it's outside of you. So if, it, if what you wrote down has external purpose, go ahead and write underneath whatever you wrote down, external or external purpose. The next question I'm gonna ask, does what you wrote down have internal purpose? Does it have internal purpose or significance? That it, that it is helping you. Maybe you write, wrote down that you love watching a sunrise. And so that brings you calm. And so that would have internal purpose. Or maybe you wrote down that you love having time with your kids. It brings you fun and happiness. And so that also would have internal purpose. So if what you wrote down has internal purpose, go ahead and write down underneath, internal purpose. Now, you might have written down external and internal for it because it shares both. That's good. Now, there's a third one, third question that I'm going to ask. But before I do that, there's something important that we need to know. And it's that everything we do will either have external, internal, or eternal purpose. Everything we do will either have external, internal, or eternal purpose. It will have at least one of those. It could have multiple, but it will have at least one of them. So go back to what you wrote down. What part of what you wrote down has eternal purpose? You might be looking at it and thinking, nothing. And that's okay. I, I specifically asked you to not write down something spiritual. So this isn't a gotcha. The point of this is for us to see that the vast majority of things we enjoy in this world do not have eternal purpose. They don't have eternal significance. Now, that's not to say that if it doesn't have eternal purpose, then it's garbage and that we shouldn't do it anymore. No, in fact, external and internal purpose is good for us, right? They're gifts, so they're good. However, 
They're not our purpose. See, we have a different purpose than pursuing things with external or internal purposes. We have a different purpose. We were made that way. External and internal purposes are just overflow. They're things, they're gifts that we get to enjoy from God. They're not our purpose. So what is our purpose then? Why were we made? I mean, take it even broader, why was anything made? Well, we can see that in Scripture. We can see, first and foremost, why the earth was made. The earth glorifies God. Earth glorifies God. God is the creator of the earth and everything in it. And there are beautiful sights that God has created. We only have to look around to be able to see that. I've got a couple of pictures. Maybe you're a mountain person and you love looking at a mountain like that, how majestic it is. That, That is just like, that's what you want to look at all the time. That is gorgeous. It's a beautiful creation. Or maybe you're more of a sunrise person. You look at a sunrise over an open field, that's, that's your joy. Maybe it's the beach. Maybe it's something else, a flower. There's so many beautiful things in creation that we get to look at. So I'm going to ask you to write down one more thing. Write down one of your favorite parts of nature. Write down one of your favorite parts of nature. Again, maybe, maybe it's seeing a hummingbird flap its wings in slow motion. We're getting so deep here. Maybe it's a, it's a long walk on the beach. Now, this isn't a dating profile, but you can enjoy that. Whatever you wrote down just now, that gives glory to God. That part of nature gives God glory because all of creation gives glory to its creator. And you and I could never create those things. You and I could never create that mountain. I know we try with our trash, but we could never create that mountain. We could never create that sunrise. That is the the power of a perfect and all-powerful God. We see that nature and and the earth gives glory to God. If we look at Psalm 19.1, now, our students know this. I'm obsessed with something before we read Scripture. I think before we reread anything in Scripture, we have to know something. Students, can you help me out? What is that one thing? Context. Context. Exactly. It's some background information. Background information. Who wrote it? Who were they writing to? What were they writing about? What happened before? What happened afterwards? It helps us better understand exactly what we're reading. So what's some context to Psalm 19? Well, this is a psalm of David, King David, and he was celebrating God. Specifically, he was celebrating God's law and encouraging all of Israel that he led to celebrate God's law. And this is how he frames this psalm from the very beginning of this celebration. He says, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. The heavens declare it. They declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. So the heavens are giving glory to God. Everything that we see above us gives glory to God. 
Then if we jump ahead to Luke 19 in the New Testament, Luke 19, verse 40, we see another element of earth giving God glory. This is Jesus's triumphant entry into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. We know that story, but there's a part of that story that we don't often know. See, as the disciples and all of the city is giving Jesus glory, they're singing his praises, the Pharisees, these Jewish religious leaders, come out and they say to Jesus, hey, you gotta stop these people. You gotta stop them. They're, they're saying things about you that they shouldn't be saying. So go, go tell them to stop. And this is Jesus's response in verse 40. It says, he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. See, Jesus is saying that if, if we didn't declare the, his glory, then the earth itself, the stones on the ground would declare glory. Now, personally, I think that'd be pretty cool to see. I think it'd be pretty cool to put, put a, a mic up to a boulder and just see it sing. I would think that the genre would probably be something like hard rock. I love hearing the delay of laugh. It's like people three seconds in are like, oh. Some people are still gonna get it on the way home. Like that's, that's what, how long it's gonna take. Sorry, I'm cheesy. That's, uh, I had to. It's my, uh, my dad coming out of me and the dad jokes. Um, they came about about two years ago when my daughter was born. So I don't know what, if, if having a second, we, uh, we have a second on the way. I don't know if having a second like doubles the amount of dad jokes, but if so, we're in trouble. Um, but we see the earth itself gives God glory. But not only that, not only the natural gives God glory, we see that the supernatural gives God glory as well. Angels glorify God. If you look at Luke 2, so skip ahead a couple pages to Luke 2, or back a couple pages to Luke 2, verse 14. This is that, that famous story of the angels appearing to the shepherds at Jesus' birth to tell them about the Savior being born. And the, shepherd, or, and the angels start praising God. And this is what they say. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. So we see angels, supernatural forces, know that God is greater. It, throughout Jesus' life, there are stories of, of demons that acknowledge Jesus' greatness, his glory. Now, they don't, they don't worship him, but they know that he is greater, and so we see supernatural forces know who he is and angels are working for him. Angels are working for him. They're like under his employ. I, mean, I can't even get my two-year-old to clean up after herself. And he's got angels working for him. That's the difference here. So we see the natural and the supernatural both give God glory. So if we know that, now we can make it a little more personal. What is our purpose? Well, you were made to glorify God. You were made to glorify God. That is our purpose. That is why we were made. And that's a, that's a phrase that we throw around a lot, like, I was made for this. I was made to be an architect. 
I have that eye. I was made to play pickleball. I own the kitchen. I was, I was made to be on the stage and dance. I was not, but, but some people might. But that, we throw that around a lot, that we were made for this. But while we might be really good at that kind of stuff, that's not why we were made. We were made for one purpose and one purpose only, to give glory to God. It's in our original design. We just have to go to the beginning of the Bible, Genesis 1, Genesis 1.27, and we will see it in our original design. This is what it says. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he, what? Created them. Three times, God said, uh, the Bible says the same thing, that God created man. Anytime in the Bible that it repeats itself, it means it's important. And this says it three times in one verse, that God created us. And it also says that God created us in his image. We were made in his image. The original design of God for us was to reflect and represent him. Now, I've told you I love sports and Maybe you guessed it, being a dad, I'm a sap. I am. Like my, it, this started about two years ago when my first daughter was born. I, like I just, the, the wall that held my tears back has been cracking slowly. Eventually it'll just break and, and everything will be gushing out all the time. But I, one of my favorite things to watch are these videos called Knock on the Door. These are videos of NFL players that have retired getting the news that they have made it into the Hall of Fame. So they are, they are sitting there waiting in their house or, or in a hotel room around the time that these things get announced, waiting for news if they have been inducted into the Hall of Fame, something that they have been working for their entire life. And so these videos go around and capture the moments when they first find out that they've made it into the Hall of Fame, when they get that knock on the door to tell them. And you just see grown men break down in tears. Now, I warn you, this will make anybody cry, all right? Just to see these big burly men break down in tears at this news that they have made it into the Hall of Fame. And they get told that they are going to actually have a, a bronze bust made of them, a bronze statue of their face made of them. And that statue is supposed to last 40,000 years. That's how long it lasts. And they tell them that that statue is to preserve their legacy, to preserve their legacy. It will be made in their image to preserve what they've done, to preserve who they are, to preserve their accomplishments. In that same way, you and I were made in the image of God to glorify him, to glorify who he is, to glorify what he has done. And yet, we get things wrong a lot. 
We do. We get it wrong so much. And, and yet we're, we're warned of, of how we should go about this. Uh, in, in Psalm 115, this is, this is a psalm that warns us how we can get off track a little bit. Psalm 115.1 says this, not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name give glory for the, sake, for the sake of your steadfast love and your faithfulness. See, it says not to us twice. Again, anytime it repeats itself, it's important. Why do we think that the psalmist said this twice? Because they know us. They know how we usually go about things. We like to give ourselves glory. But we don't have God's steadfast love. We don't have God's steadfast faithfulness. So we should be giving him the glory, not to us. Now, when? When should we be giving God glory? Well, 1 Corinthians gives us a little, a little insight into that. This is a letter that Paul writes to the church in Corinth. And there's so many, so many things in Corinth that are going on, so many different influences. And so Paul is trying to tell the church in Corinth how they should go about their daily faithfulness. And this is what he says in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Whether you eat or drink, those seem like pretty mundane things. But Paul says, in everything we do, we should be giving God the glory. When I was studying for this, I was looking at my study Bible, and this is how it explained that verse. Every aspect of every Christian's life has the potential to honor God. Every aspect of every Christian's life has the potential to honor God. Everything we do. Now, you might think, so when I'm sitting at the dinner table slurping up some spaghetti, I should be honoring God in that way? Yes. According to Scripture, that's how we should be. That everything we do should be giving God glory. But we don't do that. That was God's original design for us, but we don't do that. So where did we go wrong? Well, here's the problem. We love giving, God, we love giving things glory, right? That was in our original design was to give glory to things. I mean, I just said, I love watching greatness. I love being able to, to give glory to those things that I love watching. It gives me an outlet. But this is a, here's a quote from Ken Sand. He's a Christian author. He says this in relation to that. It's crucial to realize that you either glorify God or you glorify something or someone else. You're always making something look big. We are always making something look big in our lives. We're always giving glory to something or someone in whatever we do. And so we know that that is a part of our original design is to give glory. But the problem is, is that we are glory thieves. You and I are, love to steal glory because in our original design, we want to give glory. We want to do it. And the original design is to give it to God. But when we have our glory that we're trying to give away to something, we have it out here, 
And all of a sudden, we start to look at ourselves and think, I'm pretty good. Maybe I should get this glory. It's pretty good glory. I would really enjoy that. I'm a, I'm a good person. You know, other people should acknowledge that. Yeah, other people should know how great I am. So I, I deserve this glory. And we steal it from the one who actually deserves it. Now, this isn't a new development. This isn't something that like just happened in the 21st century. In fact, the fourth century church leader, Augustine, said this. Now, this is Latin. He, he explains sin in this way. He says that it is, that it is homo incurvatus in se. Now, that means in the English that sin is the human curved in on itself. The human being curved in on itself. You see, when we, when we start to give our glory, we then curl in on ourselves because of our sin. And when we curl in on ourselves, then we start to just see ourselves. See, we lose sight of the one that created us, the one that designed us, and we just look at ourselves. And so that glory then just gets pushed back inward on us, the things that we enjoy. See, we look really big and really great when that's all we see. But we lose sight of the one who is way bigger and way greater because we're not focused on him. We were made to be turned outward toward God and toward others to point them to God. But this is our sinful condition. A.W. Tozer describes it like this. Now, this is a long quote, but stick with me here. He says, millions call themselves by his name. It is true. We know that to be true. A ton of people call themselves Christians and followers of Christ. He says, and they pay some token homage to him, but a simple test will show you how little that he is honored among them. Let the average man be put to the proof on the question of who or what is above, and his true position will be exposed. And here are some examples that he gives. Let him be forced into making a choice between God and money, between God and men, between God and personal ambition, between God and self, between God and human love. And God will take second place every time. These other things will be exalted above. And however the man may protest, the proof is in the choice he makes day after day throughout his life. See, the proof of what we actually value, the proof of what we actually glorify is what we do day after day, who we choose to represent day after day, what legacy, going back to those bronze busts for the NFL Hall of Fame, what legacy are we trying to preserve? Or better said, whose legacy are we trying to preserve? So if we know that glorifying God is important, how do we do it? How do we glorify God? Well, the brilliant man, John Piper, 
said it this way, and I think this is the best description of how to glorify God. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. So that begs the question, when are we most satisfied? When are we most satisfied? There's a lot of satisfying things that we can experience in this world. Getting a great haircut, that's a pretty satisfying thing. You go in with some shaggy hair, you come out looking nicer. That's pretty satisfying. But we know that can't be the most satisfying thing. Why? Because we'll need another haircut. Mostly. Or what if it's, what if, it's if you get a raise? That's pretty satisfying. A lot of us are looking for that right now, right? If you get a raise, that's a pretty satisfying experience, but that can't be the most satisfying because what happens after you get that raise? You're just looking forward to the next one. You get more money, but you're saying, hey, I can, I can make more. I can make even more than that. It's not even if, if we win the Super Bowl, which I know a lot of us are on track to do, right? No, if we win the Super Bowl, what happens the next year? There's another Super Bowl that we're trying to win. So that can't be the most satisfying thing. It's not even if you pull into a packed parking lot and you find by a miracle that someone is pulling out in the front row 30 seconds after you get there. These other people have been driving around for 40 minutes looking for a spot and you find the front one. You're just driving around like, too bad. That's really satisfying, but it can't be the most satisfying thing. None of these can. Why? Because none of them are eternal. None of these things last forever. None of them affect our eternity. See, what John Piper said is that when we are most satisfied in God is when he gets the most glory. And we are most satisfied in God when we are following him when our hearts are aligned to his. Why? Because one, he will lead us in the best direction for our lives, both internally and externally. But even more important than that, eternally, we are set up with the best situation possible. We have a relationship that we will have eternally that cannot be taken out of his hand. That is what is most satisfying, is that our eternity is taken care of by the only one that could do that. And so therefore, we see that a life of glorifying God is the greatest life that we could possibly ask for. It's the greatest life that we could possibly live. So therefore, we get to our purpose in glorifying God. And from glorifying God... Here's the beautiful thing. God chooses to then glorify us. God glorifies us through Jesus. 2 Corinthians 3, 17 through 18 says this. Now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord 
are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. You see, God created us in his image. That was the original design. And our original design was to give him glory. But we screwed that up. We don't represent him well. In fact, we represent him terribly. And that relationship, that original design that we had, we broke. And yet, as we see in these verses, with the Holy Spirit, because of Jesus, we are being transformed into the same image. You see, God restores that original design. What we broke, he brings back into its rightful place. Our image gets restored because of him. He not only created us, he not only loves us, he not only sent his son Jesus to die for us, but he then gives us his glory. Where we try to steal it from him, he says, no, give me glory and I will give you it back. I will give you way better glory than you could ever steal. And because of that glory, we are restored to the original design. So do you want that restoration? Do you have that restoration in your life? Have you been stealing glory from God over and over again, not realizing that our original design was to give him glory? And then he restores us. He wants that relationship with us as it was at the beginning. And maybe you've been running away from that. You've been running to all these other things to find satisfaction. But none of them have brought you eternal satisfaction. None of them have changed your eternity. Might have changed your internal. Might have changed your external, but it hasn't changed your eternal. Because there's only one thing that can That's Jesus. And if you want that restoration, we're gonna give you a chance right now to change your eternity. Let's pray. If that's you and you want to trust in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, there's no magic words that you have to say. Just talk to God right now. Just say, God, I admit that I am a sinner and that my sin separates me from you. My sin broke the original design for my life. But because you love me, you sent your son Jesus to come to this earth, live a perfect life, and then die on the cross to pay for my sins. And I want to follow you the rest of my life, giving only you glory. If that was you, that for the first time you trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this is the greatest day of your life. It is the greatest day of your life. Why? Because your eternity has been changed. You went from death to life because of Jesus. And if that's you, we want to know about that. 
So if you trusted in Jesus for the first time, I just wanna ask you to raise your hand right now. Raise your hand. This is something to be excited about. And we want to celebrate with you. We have a Bible that we wanna give you to start you on your journey. For those of us that have been saved, that have trusted in Jesus, but we've been trying to steal that glory over and over again from God. Lord, I ask that you can allow us to see our original design. And that our original design was to give you glory and to point others to you. It's to help other people change their eternity through Jesus. That's how you want to use us. And you give us the power to do that because you know we don't have that power. God, let us give you glory in every aspect of our lives. That we can trust you that we can worship you for who you are and that others can see us and not see, not see me, not see Dave, but that God, when others see me, they see you through me. That I can be that representation of you that was in the original design when you created us. Thank you for who you are and what you have done for our lives. We love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Love you, church.